Welcome to New Consciousness Review. New Consciousness Review is all about the books and films behind the global shift in consciousness. On the NCR radio show, your host Miriam Knight interviews some of the most passionate and exciting authors and filmmakers she can find among the thousands of spiritual and progressive titles NCR covers each year on ncreview.com, an online showcase of conscious media. Miriam's guests are the thought leaders of the conscious awakening. They offer fresh perspectives on topics ranging from ancient wisdom to science and metaphysics, and from body-mind health to service and community. Be prepared to be challenged and enjoy the ride. Now, here is your host, Miriam Knight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Richard Gage, AIA, a San Francisco Bay Area architect and a member of the American Institute of Architects. He is the founding member of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, known as AE 9-11 Truth. He has been a practicing architect for over 20 years and he has worked on most types of building construction, including numerous fireproof steel frame buildings and projects costing up to $400 million. In a 2006 radio interview, Richard was startled by the conclusions he heard on this radio of a reluctant 9-11 researcher by the name of David Ray Griffin, and he embarked on his own investigations into the truth behind the events of 9-11. AE 9-11 Truth was the result, and it now num numbers more than 1,700 architects and engineers, all demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center high-rise buildings on the infamous 9-11. The organization created a very disturbing documentary called Solving the Mystery, the destruction of World Trade Center building number seven, narrated by actor Ed Asner. I was moved to invite Richard Gage for an interview after seeing this documentary because I felt it was important, particularly at this time, that the issues raised in the film be brought out into the public arena for discussion. Therefore, Richard Gage, AIA, I'm delighted to welcome you to New Consciousness Review. Thank you, Miriam. It's great to be here with you today. Richard, what was it about this radio show with David Ray Griffin that you found surprising enough to begin your own investigation? Well, I had never heard before about six years ago all of this other evidence that he had been putting out uh, and, and apparently um, thousands of others in the 9-11 Truth Movement have been aware of, but not myself, nor any of the other architects or engineers that I have worked with. So here he was talking about uh, beams being hurled from the Twin Towers uh, laterally uh, during the destruction, uh, such that there's this incredible uh, distribution of steel framing members 1400 feet about each of the twin towers he was talking about uh, uh, the first responders uh, who were experiencing uh, explosions and hearing sounds of explosions 
seeing flashes of light at the onset of the destruction of each of these towers, and 118 of them on record, orally, uh, in audio tapes that were commissioned by Thomas von Essen, the fire commissioner. And uh, this, this is a, a, amazing. He's talking about molten metal found at the base of all three World Trade Center high-rises. Um, and in fact, the third high-rise, World Trade Center 7, I, I learned, I didn't even know anything about it. I, it. Apparently, it's the third worst structural failure in modern history. And most architects and engineers know nothing, absolutely nothing about it. So I was, I was shocked. I had to find out if any of what I was hearing was true, because if it was, it would change everything I thought I knew uh, the, uh, about the world I was living in, because... This all meant that the three towers would have been blown up on purpose, as opposed to coming down as a result of jet plane impacts and fires. Now, building number seven, it never had an impact, is that correct? Yeah, this was not hit by an airplane, a 47-story skyscraper, easily the tallest building in uh, 30 in most of our states. Um, and it came down in the afternoon at 5.20. It's about a football field in length away from the North Tower. And it had a few small fires in it, presumably caused by some of the debris that uh, struck it when World Trade Center uh, 1 uh, went down, the North Tower. So, so it, at 5.20, in the afternoon, it drops straight down, uniformly, suddenly, uh, like a rock, as fast as a, a huge boulder falling off the side of this building, and virtually straight down and almost into its own footprint. Uh, now, your listeners might recall that they've seen things like this before. They're called controlled demolition. This is how they take high-rises down. No high-rise has ever collapsed due to fire, and yet this is the uh, and this is the official reason that uh, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, has given for this building's collapse. And it took them eight years to arrive at that conclusion. By the way. Um, and and it, it was just fire of the furnishings and papers and so on in the building that was the putative reason, correct? Yeah, presumably started by the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the debris from North Tower, which was on fire. Hmm. Um, you mentioned that you that there was molten metal found at the base of each of the buildings. Tell us why that's so surprising. Well, um, these fires only get to be about 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit at the hottest. I mean, the hottest office fires that are, that are absolutely blazing 
which we did not have in either of these three skyscrapers. We had very, very uh, oxygen-starved fires. There was a lot of smoke, uh, for instance, in the North and South Tower, dark black smoke, indicating that these fires were pretty oxygen-starved by the time of the collapse. So that's they're not at their hottest at all during the collapse. And NIST says there's only evidence uh, from their paint metallographic analysis, which suggests that five or 600 degrees was Fahrenheit, was the, lit, the hottest they got. Mm -hmm. But they make much bigger claims uh, of 1,800 degrees. Nevertheless, the molten metal found, which turns out to be molten iron, um, was found, uh, it, well, it takes 2,800 degrees to even begin to melt iron or steel. So we're talking about temperatures twice that that are capable, uh, that fires or even jet fuel is capable of creating. So where did the, the, the heat come from? What's the limit on jet fuel? Jet fuel is a, is a hydrocarbon. It doesn't burn any hotter than desks or chairs. So it's, it's uh, roughly it's quite a range, but 1,600 degrees is really the max. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in fact, in the documentary, it actually showed, didn't it show molten metal kind of cascading down the side of the building? Absolutely. Uh, uh, Ten minutes prior to the collapse of the South Tower, you have an incredible flow like lava out of the South Tower, <clears throat> and it's at, at the 78th floor where, where the plane went in. So NIST says, NIST calls it uh, molten aluminum from the jet plane, but it can't be that. Molten aluminum doesn't even glow bright orange or yellow in daylight condition. It's silvery. Uh -huh. So it, it's clearly not that. And even FEMA documents that the steel was attacked by liquid molten iron. Now, it, and, and even the USGS and other environmental firms doing toxicological studies on the dust find that there's li there was previously liquid molten iron droplets found in all the World Trade Center dust samples. In fact, they're so ubiquitous, they say it's a signature element. In other words, it's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has these spheres in it. These are about the size of a hair uh, diameter. They are, they're, they're completely curious to them because they have no idea how they could have formed. Uh, although they said that they must have formed during the event. So up to 6% of the samples are composed of these previously molten iron spheres, the most curious thing that could ever have been found or documented, and they have no explanation for it. Well, it's not from melted steel either, by the way. This is elemental iron. It's a direct indication, and it has the chemical signature of thermite. Thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. And this is the only rational explanation for the production of several tons of molten iron 
which are seen not only in the dust we just described, but in large pools and flow found by first responders and iron workers underneath the pile of Building 7 and the Twin Towers. I think it's, you said that uh, they found this, these pools of molten uh, metal even the following day or, or days after. Is that correct? Oh, for weeks and months, actually, they're finding uh, this stuff. They could not get these fires out. They put a lake of water down in these piles, and they could not get these fires out. Uh, and the firemen described it as flowing like lava. Uh, this is this is really quite amazing. This is an indication of some other massive heat source. Well, thermite produces not only molten iron, but 4,500 degree molten iron. Mm -hmm. and, uh, FEMA, in documenting World Trade Center 7, describes a hot liquid molten iron attack on the steel and that it made it look like Swiss cheese. Normal office fires cannot cause steel to look like Swiss cheese. They'd never seen anything like this before. Fire protection engineers were really absolutely stunned. Yes, you, you showed a picture of the, the Swiss cheese steel. Now, the debris was very, very quickly cleared up afterwards. Um, tell us your, your interpretation of the, uh, the destruction of evidence or the removal of evidence um, in conjunction with the report of the investigating committee? Well, the, there was a, a congressional hearing about this, and they said the steel was b being uh, carted off and sold to China within two weeks of 9-11. There were 400 truckloads a day being removed from the site and put in barges and being shipped to China. This is the scientific forensic evidence that structural engineers and others use to figure out metallurgists what, uh, how the building came down. So this is the criminal destruction of evidence, which Bill Manning, the editor of Fire Protection Engineering, cited um, uh, he was screaming about in, in, in his uh, editorial saying that the illegal destruction of evidence must stop immediately. Mm -hmm. And he wanted a fully resourced uh, investigation. And of course, he never got it. I, it's <clears throat> so ironic when you compare the efforts that um, uh, the FAA goes when there's a plane crash. They reassemble all the parts, and and you know it's it's a very very thorough investigation. And here, in such a high profile uh, incident, where so many people were killed, they just whisk it all away. It's it's mind boggling. Yes, it, it really is. It. it it's an indication of a cover-up, which is criminal activity in and of itself. But you see, the way they got away with it is by declaring this an act of war instead of a crime. Crimes have to be investigated. Investigations have uh, legal requirements, preservation of evidence, etc. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was bypassed. Uh, 
in this particular uh, case, uh, which served their needs quite well, I, I, I guess. You, you speak of um, foreknowledge of events because the Building 7 was cleared before it came down, wasn't it? Yes, it was evacuated. Nobody, theoretically, nobody died in that building. That was, that was uh, after the planes hit the towers mm -hmm. and before they came down. One person, Barry Jennings, went back into the building experienced explosions um, in the film 9-11 uh, explosive evidence experts speak out which we just completed a 32 city tour of for the its world premiere uh, in that film uh, we show two other uh, first responders uh, talking about massive explosions at the base of that building uh, prior to it uh, dropping like a rock. You see, it looks exactly like a classic controlled demolition, and um, and yet that is not even addressed by NIST in their report. Uh, they went straight for the hypothesis of destruction by fire and created an elaborate computer analysis in order to try to justify that. Um, they, they actually stated, well, no, it was uh, the governor of New York that said, uh, you don't need the steel, just looking at a piece of steel doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> He's actually a, me a mechanical engineer. Um, uh, Who, Giuliani? I think Bloomberg was actually the one telling us this. <clears throat> um, Giuliani has his own set of self-condemning statements. But uh, NIST, in their use of this computer, uh, manipulated the data in order to try to avoid acknowledging that this building came down in free fall. Now, a free-falling object falls freely because it has no resistance underneath it. There's nothing supporting it. So it can fall without any a hindrance so it it uh, but this building had 40,000 tons of structural steel framework in it supporting it that's three or five times in some cases stronger than it needed to be in order to support that building mm -hmm. so the fact that it's falling freely and suddenly in the first hundred feet of this building's fall which NIST finally admitted when cornered publicly by members of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth in their conference, press conference. Uh, they actually then acknowledge, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the free fall. They do not suggest what could have been responsible for removing those 80 columns all at once on each of eight given floors in order to have this building fall symmetrically down and free falling. Any deviation in that pattern of explosives in a controlled demolition will cause the building to begin to tip over. And of course, uh, that would be 
a massively damaging to adjacent buildings. So do you think that there is any difference in plausibility between the story about uh, Building 7 and the story of the Twin Towers? Is it possible that in some way the airplanes were responsible for the actual dis uh, freefall destruction of the Twin Towers? Well, yeah, in the case of the Twin Towers, um, they, they fell a little bit slower, but each of those towers was completely destroyed in about a dozen seconds. This is almost free fall. Free fall would be about nine or 10 seconds. Um, and so th this is quite impossible too. You have 80,000 tons of structural steel in each of those towers that are three or five times stronger than it, they needed to be to support that load. So any natural collapse would have been slow, halting, irregular, uh, organic, um, and, and if it did start to actually collapse, it would twist, turn, begin to fall off the side of the building and land in some chunk at the bottom. Uh, that's extremely unlikely also, though, because of the massive strength of these towers. The NIST even acknowledges when the plane hit the tower, the tower did its job in supporting it for an hour. They blame the fires for these uh, collapses, and they have an elaborate explanation, again, supported by computer data, which they will not release the input data for. There's nothing uh, public about this investigation uh, of what were publicly owned buildings. Uh, Larry Silverstein had purchased uh, the Twin Towers and in a deal that was secured just six weeks prior to 9-11. So they went into private hands. He subsequently earned $5.6 billion. Um, but uh, that's an aside. Oh, so can, can you elaborate on that for a minute? Say again? Which part? The, about the, the, the purchase of these buildings just a few weeks before the incident? Well, that's a matter of public record. Um, it just makes it curious, you know, when you, when you learn some of these other facts. Yeah, could you just please restate it? Because I, I, I was listening, but I kind of missed the implication until the end. So, uh oh. Tell us again. Well, the, the Twin Towers were put up for sale by the, the uh, New York Port Authority. And um, they, uh, they were sold in a, what's really a 99-year lease and uh, in a bidding process, which had all kinds of problems associated with it. Larry Silverstein ended up, he was the owner of the Building 7 in the first place. He ended up uh, uh, purchasing the Twin Towers for three, $3.2 million. And, um, excuse me. Um, Billion, maybe? Uh, I, think, I think it was. <laughs> I think it was $3.2 billion. But anyway, uh, those towers were basically condemned in a sense. They were half empty. And uh, they would be 
they would be re the New York City was requiring them to be uh, abated for asbestos, which uh -huh. was a huge problem for all building owners. And uh, so he knew that he would have to put another five billion into. Um, anyway. That's an aside as well. A curious aside, indeed. The other curiosity I, I recall from the film was that when one, there was a clip that showed somebody going into Building 7, and they were told to go out by some policemen or officers who had the insignia of the CIA on their jackets. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, that was. I don't doubt it. Uh, the CIA was in the building. The IRS was in Building Seven. Uh huh. Uh, the Securities and Exchange, the Department of Defense. It was a very, very highly secure building. <clears throat> it was a very highly secure building, so it's rather unlikely that terrorists could have gotten in to this highly secure building and mined it for demolition. Yeah, it's, it takes months and dozens of operatives. So we're certainly looking for an investigation into the security company who had the contract for the whole World Trade Center complex. Um, we're also looking for an investigation into uh, Ace Elevator, who had uh, the contract to modernize the elevators for the nine months prior to 9-11 in the Twin Towers. Uh, this would have given an undercover team complete access to the core columns and beams in the Twin Towers without the occupants even knowing. So it's an important part of the puzzle. We don't, you know, accuse anybody uh, of anything, but an investigation is certainly warranted into this company who had 85 employees in the building at the time that the tower uh, was hit, and they fled. Uh, they did not uh, stick around to help the first responders rescue these victims, which they always do. They show up to high-rise fires uh, to help firemen. They're experts in those systems. Hmm. Another thing I heard, uh, and I dismissed it at the time as conspiracy theory, was that uh, the security company responsible for these towers was actually run by one of the Bush family. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh huh. Curiouser and curiouser. <laughs> yes, most definitely. But what the uh, the the first responders. Uh, were extremely uh, disturbed about mostly was this all of this molten material which they hadn't dealt with uh, ever before in a fire because the fires don't get that hot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they were also experiencing, as we noted, explosion uh, at the onset of destruction, uh, seeing explosions, hearing explosions, being uh, 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 killed by explosions prior to the destruction uh, of the onset of the, the collapse actually itself. Mm -hmm. There was all kinds of explosions going on uh, before. In fact, in the basement 
of the Twin Towers. Uh, others had uh, been uh, quite injured uh, by explosions even before the plane hit the building. Uh, and this is very well documented. Uh, so we... Could you repeat that point? They were injured by explosions plane. before the plane hit the building. Correct. Uh, Willie Rodriguez has uh, is the prime uh, witness of these explosions, a janitor in the building, who was the last man out of this uh, of one of the towers. Um, and so the question is, what what would be why would there be explosions in the basement when you know everything's happening way up above? Uh-huh. It's we, I'm just speculating that. If this was all done on purpose, they would want those fires to be as hot as possible. Uh, sprinklers are in buildings, and they were in these buildings. They're designed to put out fires, and so they were uh, uh, apparently uh, not working um, when when uh, when they were needed to be to put these fires out. So I'm guessing that uh, they were sabotaged, and the sprinkler mains are down in the basement mm-hmm. for these buildings and that those explosions may have been for that purpose. The other thing one never hears about is what happened to ground control at all of these New York airports? How did these planes manage to you know, get so wrong? Why was there no scrambling? Why were there no um, warnings? Well, there's a whole series of problems there too. I recommend uh, David Ray Griffin's books, uh, most notably the New Pearl Harbor and New Pearl Harbor Revisited. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are exceptional uh, books which deal with the other pieces of the pie known as the events of 9-11, such as the uh, lack of response from NORAD that you're referring to, put options made on uh, bet, these are bets, uh, on the, 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 that the airliners would go down in value the next day, airline companies. Really? Um, and millions were made, yes. And the 9-11 Commission actually investigated that, and it went right to the doorstep of the former CIA director, Buzzy Krongard, at the Deutsche Bank building. So they stopped their investigation because they said that uh, it didn't lead to Osama bin Laden. Ah. Mind-boggling again. So what, uh, I don't know, is there any point in talking about the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST? There's plenty of points to be made, you bet, because one of the things is they did not look for explosives. First of all, they tell us they never found evidence of explosives. Um, Later, they acknowledge in writing that they never looked for them. (laughs) This is uh, actually criminal because no high-rise has ever come down due to fire. Uh, And yet, and every high-rise that has come down is due to controlled demolition. And yet, they didn't even examine this hypothesis, even though there's hundreds of witnesses talking about explosions at the onset of destruction of both of the buildings. So there's absolutely no excuse not to look for it, but others did. 
and they found plenty of evidence in all the World Trade Center dust, which is, by the way, evidence itself of explosions because 30% of this dust is concrete powder. How does concrete, 90,000 tons of concrete in the Twin Tower, each Twin Tower, turn into dust? Uh, that's it. That's a, right there is evidence of very high energy explosives. But in the dust itself, spread throughout lower Manhattan, river to river in a four-inch pile, uh, the, the, um, a small team of scientists led by Niels Harris in Copenhagen uh, find in all the independently collected samples, um, and, and these scientists are throughout the United States too, but they find small red-gray chips about a sixteenth of an inch long. These these chips, uh, uh, up to up to a hundred of them in every one of these samples, or so, uh, they are. Uh, in turn composed of, on the red side, extremely small particles of iron oxide and aluminum powder. This is the ingredients of thermite. Mm -hmm. Perfect percentage to become thermite. They're intimately mixed in the, and set in this organic uh, bed of oxygen, silica, carbon, which um, is extremely high-tech stuff. And these particles are a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. This is at the nano scale. This is very, very sophisticated material made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. It's called nanothermite uh, or superthermite. Uh, it, it acts very fast. Normal thermite, which you can actually buy on eBay, is just a combination of iron oxide and aluminum powders in those percentages. But when you reduce the size of those particles down to the nanoscale, you get something that can be engineered to be very explosive. So this should have been found by NIST in a, in a more comprehensive study, but it wasn't, uh, perhaps because uh, NIST was instrumental actually in developing nanothermite prior to 9-11 with other co defense contracting firms and Los Alamos and Lawrence Livermore. Oops. Which is very important um, because uh, here you've got the fox apparently in charge of the hen house. NIST brought in these executives in order to uh, not find, I suppose, the nanothermite in the dust to, so the, to the to lead this investigation. Mm -hmm. Has, so any, this has anybody called for the investigation of NIST? Yeah, we certainly have. What about Congress? What have they been doing? We've given Congress our DVD, every member of Congress, and it, as well in the President of the United States, major media companies. Um, we have gotten very little traction in media with this information. You would think it would be the story of the century. Uh, and uh, with 1,700 architects and engineers um, backing up this data, calling for a new investigation, 
but uh, it is something the mainstream media won't touch. We uh, are aware of a possible reason, and that could be because 90% of the mainstream media is owned by just six corporations. Now, Project Censored in Sonoma, and a think tank that looks into these kinds of censorship issues, um, uh, noted that the board, the people on the boards of directors of these six mega corporations are the same individuals running the corporations in the arms industry, the oil industry, the banking industry, the insurance industry, all of whom uh, uh, made incredible profits as a result of 9-11. You know, I just had my my niece and her family visiting from New York. They They live in Upper Manhattan. And I told them I was going to be interviewing you and that I had a copy of the DVD and would they like to see it. And there was a, a, a distinct lack of enthusiasm about it. It's, it's almost like they don't even want to contemplate the possibility that the story that they've already swallowed um, is wrong and that they kind of have to reopen that whole can of worms again. Do you think that could be part of what is playing into the reluctance of the media, well, independent media perhaps, to uh, to look into this? Well, it's certainly a part of uh, all of us who on that morning, uh, as a result of that morning, we're in a, a state of post um, uh, hypnotic stress, I guess. Post-traumatic stress, yeah. Post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, it, it is um, it's extremely difficult for all of us to go back there. We were we were in a lot of pain, uh, at least shock, uh, on that morning. We we're being attacked, you know, for the first time in an awful long time, and the first time on American mainland. Uh, we didn't even know at first it was an attack. Everybody was confused and. We're, we're, we're traumatized by the violence of the attack and then the pattern of attack as it came to be. Four planes all together, one after the another. We were, this is completely out of the blue. We're looking for answers. We're ready to accept them when they come very quickly. We're put into a, a childlike state of, of uh a com- complete shock, and, and a child in that situation is very susceptible to suggestion, and even architects and engineers, we accepted the, uh, what was fairly immediate, um, the official proclamations of how these buildings, act, how they came down mm-hmm. as a result of jet planes, fires, and gravitational collapses, uh, in the case of the Twin Towers. We weren't told much at all relative to Building 7. Um, and so we justify that initial 
a cementing of the myth uh, with nonsense. When challenged, we being um, those who are unaware uh, of the truth about what happened to these buildings, we, even though our eyes are telling us that the buildings were blown up, um, when the authority has has uh, created this other impression, calling it an apple instead of an orange, we start to justify ourselves as an apple, a as a collapse by jet plane impacts and fires, even though it's very clearly an orange. This is a well-documented phenomenon uh, related to cognitive dissonance, which uh, psychologists tell us is... Uh, when competing realities are operating for real estate in our brain, uh, we need to uh, go with the one that we feel safest with, not mm -hmm. the one that is the most logical. And so uh, this is uh, a, an explanation as to why your, um, uh, was it your daughter? My niece. Your niece. Uh, and, and and even trained architects, engineers, and physicists. I debate with physicists, uh, two of them, uh, and, and they're telling me, well, of course Building 7 came down at freefall. It couldn't come down any other way. Completely denying basic law, Newtonian laws of physics uh, in making such a statement. Now, in, in their case, they may knowingly be lying. They may knowingly be lying because they may be a paid. There are a lot of people who are paid to lie. That's their job. Uh, and in the media, I think uh, the mainstream media, it starts at the top. And uh, from the bottom, you, you, you get resistance uh, from people who just don't want to believe anything else so that they, they, they just kind of support the lie unconsciously. And uh, then there's others who are, for, for whatever reason, those of us who are uh, uh, open-minded uh, enough to see, many people saw and, and declared and spoke out loud from the very beginning, 11 years ago, uh, hey, these buildings are blown up, the whole thing stinks, it's a scam. And uh, then you have a systematic effort on the part of the government and the media to label these people conspiracy theorists. And that helps the population have more comfort level. They can simply write it off as a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're faced with, yes. So what would you hope that listeners would do with this information? Well, well the 9-11 Truth Movement gets its support and momentum from people uh, who are listening to facts and figures like this, like I did six years ago, and who decide to do something. In my case, uh, organize architects and engineers. Uh, in other cases, riding their bicycles across the country, uh, speaking to police chiefs in small towns from Seattle to uh, New York, uh, which Rena and, and Pam uh, are doing uh, members of our our team? They're halfway across right now in Iowa. Others can uh, send the link to ae911truth.org to every architect and engineer that they can find, and everybody else that they know. It's a grassroots movement, and it's um, growing. 
steadily, slowly, it's, uh, and they're fighting uh, this incredible wall of denial. But this is the kind of patriotism that this country needs in this day and age, not the flag-waving, um, uh, war-supporting uh, patriots that we uh, see in the Tea Party. Hmm. And the website again is ae911truth.org? Yes, ae911truth.org. And for architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, where this movie uh, documentary film can be uh, seen, uh, 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out, where 43 of our 1,700 are laying out all the evidence. High-rise architects, structural engineers, metallurgists, chemists, physicists, fire protection engineers. It's an extraordinary film that achieved the number one spot at PBS TV uh, uh, a month ago and has been hovering near the top ever since. Did, did uh, Colorado PBS create their own film as well? No, they played our film. Uh-huh offered it as a premium for those who pledged to support their television station and uh, they interviewed us in the studio as well and that can be seen uh, at um, cpt12.org yeah cpt12.org I suppose if you just google um, what would they google um, Colorado Public Television um, no but to get directly to the link yeah. We will have we have the link on our website at ncreview.com uh, and <clears throat> under under videos we have the the whole YouTube video. So you can find it uh, with us and uh, uh, so how if you were approaching a senator or a congressman running for office what kind of questions would you ask? Well, when we go visit them, uh, and we encourage all of our members uh, and supporters to do that, we sit down face-to-face, uh, -face with, usually with their staff, because that's all you can get, and we show them Building 7 coming down, and we say, do you think this needs an investigation? Because everybody who actually sees Building 7 coming down agrees that that is a controlled demolition. The fire did not bring, especially the few small fires in that building, did not bring that building down. Uh, will you investigate it? Will you look at this seriously? Will you realize the implications of 9-11 being an, an, uh, 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 something other than what we were told? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed that you're, you're very careful not to draw any conclusions other than the fact that we have not been told the truth. Well, um, when we, well, we've drawn some conclusions. Uh, there's evidence supporting the hypothesis of explosive controlled demolition. What we don't draw is theories about how that happened, why it happened, how they got away with it, who did it. Um, all of that is speculation and the job of criminal investigators who need to start doing their job of a, starting with a, a, a forensic investigation that's unimpeachable, that offers immunity to witnesses to bring them forth, that um, takes their testimony under oath, 
that examines all of the evidence, not just uh, that which uh, NIST put in their report, which is uh, omits most of the evidence we've been discussing today. Well, there you have it. A uh, really disturbing and uh, heroic uh, effort on the part of Richard Gage, uh, AIA, and another 1,700 architects and engineers who have signed their names, you know, gone out on a limb and called for a proper investigation uh, to get to the truth behind this. And, and Richard, all I can say is, on behalf of the American people, I thank you for your courage. Well, that's really sweet of you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that very much. It keeps me going forward. It really does. Again, you can find more information on AE911truth.org. Richard Gage, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Miriam. Our guest next week will be Georgina Cannon, a hypnotherapist whose book is called Return Again, How to Find Meaning in Our Past Lives and Interlives. She even teaches you how to do your own past life regression so you won't want to miss the show. But if you do, you can always find our shows on our website, ncreview.com. And you can now listen to all our interviews on your iPhone or Android devices. You'll find the link to our free mobile app on our website, and you can even scan the QR code right to your phone. As a bonus, the app has two other tabs for the latest books and videos on our site. If you have any comments or suggestions, why don't you send me an email to miriam at ncreview.com or just leave a comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash ncreview. We're going to close the show with our track of the week selected by Scott Johnson from among members of the Positive Music Association. Their music styles range from pop and rock to folk and jazz, but they all have positive messages designed to uplift, heal, or enlighten. This week we're featuring a moving song called Nine Gold Medals by David Roth. Athletes had come from all over the country To run for the gold, for the silver and bronze Many the weeks and the months of their training And all coming down to these games The spectators gathered around the old field For cheering on all the young women and men and the final event of the day was approaching. Excitement grew high to begin. The blocks were all lined up for those who would use them. The hundred-yard dash was the race to be run. There were nine resolved athletes in back of the starting line, poised for the sound of the gun. Signal was given, the pistol exploded, 
And so did the runners all charging ahead. But the smallest among them, he stumbled and staggered and fell to the asphalt instead. He gave out a cry in frustration and anguish. His dreams and his efforts all dashed in the dirt. But as sure as I'm standing here telling this story, the same goes for what next occurred. The eight other runners pulled up on their heels, the ones who had trained for so long to compete. And one by one they all turned round and went back to help him and brought the young boy to his feet. Then all the nine runners joined hands and continued the hundred-yard dash now reduced to a walk. And a banner above that said Special Olympics could not have been more on the mark. For that's how the race ended With nine gold medals They came to the finish line Holding hands still And a standing ovation And nine beaming faces Said more than these words ever will That's how the race ended With nine gold medals They came to the finish line Holding hands still And a banner above that said Special Olympics Said more than these words ever will So much more than these words ever That was Nine Gold Medals by the very talented David Roth, an acclaimed singer, songwriter, recording artist, artist, keynote speaker, workshop leader, and instructor, whose work has traveled from folk festivals to Carnegie Hall to Earth orbit on Space Shuttle Atlantis. To find out more about David's music, go to davidrothmusic.com. And to discover more great music or to join the PMA, go to PositiveMusicAssociation.com. Remember to check out our free community of readers and authors at ncreview.com. It's a great resource for books and films that open minds and lift spirits. I do hope you'll come back next week, and please tell your friends. Well, that wraps it up for today, so until next week... I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to NCR Radio. If you missed any of Miriam's shows, you can find them on demand any day and time on her show page. You can also download podcasts to your iPhone and take these inspiring shows with you wherever and whenever you like. If you have a question or comment for Miriam, you can follow her on Facebook at facebook.com slash ncrreview. That's facebook.com slash ncrreview. Be sure and join us next week for more passionate and exciting guests on NCR Radio.